What a good reminder, what a good way to bring in the new year, knowing that all God's promises are yes and amen. Some of you will be able to re relate to this, and, and some maybe not so much, but uh, before we had these devices in our hands and before we had computers, uh, we needed to entertain ourselves once in a while. And we had very different things that we used to entertain ourselves than our phones. Uh, sometimes we would do what was called uh, crossword puzzles, right? If you're just sitting there and it, it would say something or a clue and you'd have to write and, and it all supposed to line up. And, and other times there was another thing that we would do which was called word search, um, where it's all of these uh, letters and, and there were words in there and you'd have to find them. And, and then there was uh, something called um, connect the dots, and, and connect the dots, sometimes if it was a simple thing, you could, you could look at it and see, mm, this is going to be a bird. But there were other things where you had to connect the dots, meaning follow one step to the other, and it was a, a, a lot more complex. And you would not know what it was going to be until you actually connected all of those dots. Life is somewhat like that. Uh, we, we need to connect certain dots. And, and that is the title of this afternoon's sermon. Uh, we sometimes, uh, because we use language as Christians, call it discernment. Right? That, that, that is a form of discernment. As we're navigating through life, uh, we need to know what the next move would be. And it would be sometimes hard to do that without a map. Matter of fact, it's impossible to do it without a map. Jesus tells um, this parable about a wise builder. And he speaks about uh, building a house uh, either on the rock and on the sand. And one of the things that he says about this is they would experience a lot of the same things in life. That, that rain uh, would fall, that rivers would rise, that wind would blow and pound on the house. And, and depending on what you built the house on would determine whether or not the house would stand. One of the things that uh, we've all seen is movies, or maybe, maybe you might have done this to someone at some time, where someone was building a house on the sand, a sandcastle, and a bully would just come and kick it down after you did all of that work. Or maybe that person even built that sand castle too, uh, too close to the shoreline. And as the day progressed and, and the waves came in, it would just wash it away. And, and all of that work would be gone. Uh, one of the things that 
what we want to do today and moving forward is assist you in knocking down some of those sandcastles. Uh, far too many of us have built on the wrong foundation. Jesus tells uh, a parable in Matthew chapter 12. And that's going to be our text for this afternoon, Matthew chapter 12. I'll be reading out of the CSB, and we'll be starting at verse 43. Would you please stand with me for the reading of God's Word? Matthew 12, starting at verse 43, reads this way. When an unclean spirit comes out of a person, it roams through waterless places looking for rest but doesn't find any. Then it says, I'll go back to my house that I came from. Returning, it finds the house vacant, swept, and put in order. Then it goes and brings with it seven other spirits, more evil than itself. And they enter the house and settle down there. As a result, that person's last condition is worse than the first. That is how it will also be with this evil generation. Father, we come to you hearing these words, Lord, and we ask that each one would determine what does this mean for me? What, what should I walk away with as I am entering this new year and I have thoughts of what this year is going to bring, things that I want to do, plans that I have, Lord, things that I want to start doing, other things that I want to stop. Help me this day to direct my, that you would direct my compass north, that I would see you and recognize my need for you and everything. Give us our daily bread, Lord. Feed us this day. Open eyes, encourage people, Lord, and redirect, Lord. Your word has power to save, to encourage, to take blinders off by your spirit. Would you do that this afternoon? In the matchless name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So Jesus is... Uh, giving this parable, a parable is, is a, a story that he tells that has um, earthly demonstration or picture of something, but has a spiritual meaning behind it. And in the start of chapter 12 of Matthew, uh, we have these religious leaders who are challenging who Jesus is. They have set their own rules and traditions that they live by, and, and they've determined this is how I obey God. But they've actually taken God's law, 
and they reduced it down to do's and don'ts. Uh, they uh, said, if I, if I do this and I don't do that, God is appeased and he's satisfied. The problem with what they did, uh, it came to a point where their hearts were far away from God. So they, they start out by challenging Jesus, and, and they first come to him and say to him, hey, um, your disciples, they're, they're breaking the rules. It's the Sabbath, and as they're going through the grain fields, they are plucking heads of wheat off, and, and they're, they're eating it. And according to our traditions and the, the way that we uh, see the law, they're breaking the law because they're doing work. Uh, in this way, they were trying to challenge Jesus' authority. Basically, what they were saying to him is like, hey, this is, this is the way we say we're supposed to come to God. And you're claiming to be God. And, and, and who are you to tell us that we are serving God the wrong way? That, that is a struggle that each and every one of us face. Uh, we want to challenge what the Word of God says, what other believers tell us, because we want to determine for ourselves how we are going to approach God. It's easier for us that way. We, we don't have to challenge our lifestyles. We can make determinations of what's good and bad. We, we can set up these rules, and, and hey, as long as I follow these rules, I could get close to the edge and, and not go over, and, and then I can um, do other things that, that would be, in my opinion, honoring to God, and, hey, I gave you this. We all face challenging God in that way. So Jesus turns around as they questioned him about that, and he debunked um, what they were saying to him, and he said to him, don't you remember when, when your hero David and his men uh, went and ate the showbread that they weren't supposed to eat, and, and the priests, they, they work on the Sabbath, and uh, what I'm telling you is that, that I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. They, they, they didn't like that. And, and, and it goes on in chapter 12 to say that entering the temple, that they came across a man who had a withered hand. He, he, he was missing one of his, his hands, and they asked him a question because they wanted to trap him. And they said, well, um, is it lawful for you to heal on the Sabbath? So... Just think about what's happening here because we do it all the time where we try to justify and ask certain questions and frame things a certain way so that we can continue to live the way we want to live, to think the way that we want to think. And for us to live the way that we want to live and think the way that we want to think, 
We have to justify what we're doing, making it seem as, no, what I'm saying is right. We don't want to just do things, know it's wrong, and just live that way. No, some kind of way we have to make ourselves feel fine about the things that we're doing. So when they come across this man and ask Jesus, hey, is it okay for you to heal on the Sabbath? He says, well, any of you who had a sheep fall in a hole on the Sabbath, uh, you would take that out. You wouldn't leave that sheep in that hole. That would be considered work if we're going to go by your set of rules and pulling that sheep out of there. So uh, what I will tell you is it's never wrong. Matter of fact, it is good to do right on the Sabbath. So he healed the man's hand. And once he did that, they left his presence and they plotted. We're going to kill this guy. That is a demonstration how your set of rules and you believing, hey, if I do this and I don't do that and I have uh, what I think is going to be fine and I'll deal with God when I get to him has no effect on your heart in a positive way whatsoever. Matter of fact, it has a negative effect on your heart. So... Jesus, he, he starts to uh, heal people, and he casts out a demon um, in a man, and, and they go and start, the people see this, they're looking at the evidence of what Jesus is doing, and they start considering, hey, this must be the Messiah. This is the son of David. This is the one that we've been waiting for. Well, the religious rulers hearing that knows that this would jeopardize their position and says, no, 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 no. What you're seeing here is a demonstration of evil. Uh, he's actually through the power of Satan casting out demons. And Jesus addresses that. Eventually, it comes to a place where they say to Jesus, hey, if you are who you say you are, show me a sign. Now, Jesus has been speaking words of life that is cutting deep into the hearts of people. He's performing miracles. He's healing people. He's casting out demons. They're aware. They're, they're seeing this, but they still want another sign. Sometimes... No matter what evidence is smacking you right in your face, you just refuse to see because you don't want to see. It's kind of like sometimes with some people, not with me, when you hear a faint call in the distance, maybe it's the sound of your wife. And, um, and you choose to ignore it. Matter of fact, you turn up the TV a little bit above the strength of her voice. It's just an example. 
But sometimes it is a willful choice. The evidence is right here in my face. But if I'm going to be challenged with the truth, I'm going to have some things to change. And I like doing me. And I'm going to keep doing me. So Jesus says to him, well, you're only going to see one sign. And it's going to be the sign of Jonah. Uh, It's going to be just like Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days. I will be in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights. And he's speaking here about his crucifixion and his resurrection. And that sets the stage for this text that we just read. All of those things happen, and he says to him, let me tell you a story. And he starts telling this story about this unclean spirit, this unclean spirit that comes out of a person. So let me start by saying that uh, an unclean spirit is, is a demon. Don't, don't ever get so sophisticated or fancy in your theology that you forget that there are angels and demons and a spiritual battle going on around us all the time. You can't forget that because you have to understand and you have to remember who your fight is against. Because we turn it to people, into situations, into bad luck or whatever we want to call it. But the Bible tells us, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this Darkness against evil spiritual forces in the heavens. The the main trick of the enemy is to have you believe he does not exist. How can you win a fight when you don't know your enemy? If, If Bob does something bad to me and I go over and punch Adrian in the stomach... How, how, can I, how can I win? Not, not only am I fighting the wrong person, but I'm using the wrong tactics. It, it's never going to help. So it says when this clean, unclean spirit comes out of a person, it roams through waterless places. People that do not have the Holy Spirit in them can be possessed. People that have the Holy Spirit can be depressed and influenced by evil spirits. And here the text tells us that when this spirit comes out, it roams. It's looking for something. We know that the Bible tells us to be sober-minded. Your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion looking for anyone he can devour. We know in the book of Job that uh, they uh, came, the sons of, of, of 
the, the sons of God came into the presence of the Lord. And Satan went with them. And the Lord said to Satan, hey, where you been? And he said, from roaming through the earth and walking around on it. So this unclean spirit comes out of this person. It roams and it goes through waterless places. Catch that, because what that symbolizes is desert places, a wilderness. See, because in, in, the, in the Bible, water often signifies abundance. It is even used uh, for speaking about salvation, about eternal life. Uh, sometimes it speaks of spiritual cleansing. It speaks of the acceptance of God's offer of salvation. It speaks of streams of living water which flows within those who believe with the Holy Spirit. It speaks about God's help. So, so this demon leaves this person for whatever reason, and he starts to, to roam to look for a new victim. It says that he was looking for rest. Evil spirits can only find rest in doing the next level of harm. Searching around for a place to set up camp again. He's on like a recon mission. And when he doesn't find a suitable place, he says, you know what? I'll go back to my house that I came from. There's no place like home. What's crazy is we're talking about this spirit being in a person and the spirit is calling, the evil spirit is calling the dwelling in that person as their house. And, and while they're there, they're not just sitting around chilling. They're wrecking the joint. The thief comes only to steal and to kill, and to destroy. But the good news is, Jesus said, I've come that they may have life and have it more abundantly. The text says that when this evil spirit went back to what he called home, returning he finds the house in a different state than he left it in. As that spirit left, I would imagine he left when he thought, I've done enough damage here. Let me go find a new victim. On returning, the house looks totally different. It says that the house is vacant that it's swept, and that it's put in order. So some home improvements went on. Started cleaning up the place. Started um, fixing things. Maybe hanging some things on the wall and, and getting some new furniture. Uh, often... Uh, we try and do that in our lives, 
And sometimes we even have the nerve to try to do it in someone else's life. You know, like when you um, like the way someone looks, but not all the ways that they act. And you're like, yeah, you know what? I like the way they look so much. These ways that I don't like that they act, we're going to fix some of that stuff up. I'm going to help that person fix that stuff up in their life to make them right for me. In our own lives, we, we do that at times as well. I've been dealing with this thing time and time again, and it's got to change. I, I can't do this anymore. I, I'm going to make some improvements. Anybody know why we're talking about this today? This is one of those days where we determine in our minds something's got to change. I'm not bringing some of that message to the new year. Uh, Today, I'm excited. It is a new day, and I'm a new person. That's what this person thought. And there were uh, good intentions there. They, they, They put some work in. They started to sweep. They started to put some things in order. And, hey, that sounds great. Matter of fact, there's industries built around that. These self-help books and life coaches, there's big money in that. Hey, we're going to make some improvements. I'm going to clean up my act. I'm going to do things that I am supposed to be doing. I'm going to pull myself together, right? We use all of those terms. And, and often when you see these life coaches and they're selling these books and they're online and they have these videos and you sitting there watching it and making them money and believing that person has the key to my success, when you actually know nothing about their own personal life and if they could live out any of that stuff themselves. The issue with what went on here, and you, you might have missed it, is that when this demon returned, he found the place different. It was vacant, it was swept, and it was put in order. So when he finds that whatever damage he did seems to be fixed up, he said, you know what? I'm going to go get some of my boys. Matter of fact, the ones that I'm going to get, they're worse than me. Once we come in and wreck this joint again, there ain't going to be no fixing it. So they goes and gets seven of his friends and brings them back. And it says that they enter and they settle down. This is the clubhouse now. They they make this place home. The crazy part is this is not a house. This is a person. And they're laying claim to that person's soul. 
Whatever we do, there are always results. It says as a result, that person's last condition is worse than the first. Whatever your intentions are and making changes in your life, Recognize if the house is vacant, you got a problem. There was nothing stopping that first demon from coming in, nor the seven that came after to make that condition work. How many times do we have to go through I'm just going to muscle up and fix this. And days turn into weeks, turn into months, turn into years, and sometimes decades. And we're still trying to fix some of the same old stuff. And, and, and maybe some of the stuff we were able to, like, clean up a little bit, but something else took its place. And that something else was never better. It was just different. The only way for this to change is for the change to come from the inside. The, the issue here is not the good intentions of wanting to change some things. It's the refusal to let the one who can change some things in. Remember who Jesus was giving this parable to. He was telling this story to the religious people that had changed up some stuff. You know, at one time, these people were having a golden calf saying, well, I don't know where this guy Moses is. Make us a God. Yeah, this is the God that took us out of Egypt. Well, they grew in their sophistication, and that wasn't the issue anymore. They were in the temple. They were reading the scriptures. They were tithing. All of these things. But their last condition was worse than the first. Because they grew so confident in these religious exercises in themselves and what they could do that God was standing in their midst and they couldn't recognize him. Matter of fact, they said, if this is really him, we got to get him out of the way because my agenda is far too important. And they schemed to kill him in the face of him proving who he was. How often do we find ourselves in that place? You can't leave the house vacant. Real change is only going to come when the master of the house is stronger than the demons and those influencing from the outside. The Bible tells us that um, 
Our temptations don't come from God. It says that um, we're tempted when we are drawn away and enticed by our own evil desires. Those desires are coming from the inside. And, and, and once those things are there, after that desire has conceived, it gives birth to something. Those things that we want produce something, and it produces sin. And sin, you cannot control. Sin grows up. And when sin is fully grown, it gives birth to death. One of the things that we see in this parable that we read is sin is stubborn and it resists change. That, that, that's where you see them trying to clean up. I've said this before, I read a quote, quote before where sin takes you further than you want to go keeps you longer than you want to stay and costs you more than you want to pay. You are never going to be able to control it. The good news is there is one who's greater. The Bible tells us for the believer, for he who is in you, is greater than he that is in the world. Once we have the Holy Spirit in us, he is our helper, he is our comforter, he is our strength. He's the one who's going to keep us. No demon, no seven demons can come and enter the temple of God. But even as believers, we have to be careful because we, by nature, only go to God when we think, I can't handle this. No, we have to go to God for everything. God demands righteousness from us. And all of us, our most righteous deeds is as filthy rags. The good news is that God provides what he demands. God is able to change your life. When we think about what God has done, who God is, the Bible tells us that God is standing with you. The Bible tells us that Jesus is at the right hand of God praying for you. The Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit is living in you. The Bible tells us that his word is leading you, and he also tells you that angels surround you. You do not have to live the way you used to live as a slave to sin. 
But you're going to be a slave to something. But the Bible tells us that we are slaves to righteousness. I was praying for the last couple of weeks. I was saying, God, what is the word for this year for our church, for our families, for our personal lives? And it wasn't coming to me. And Jesse and I talk about a lot of things. It's just like, what, what are we, where are we going this year? And I can't give an answer just to give an answer. So I'm like, I know what we're going to do day to day. God hasn't laid that on my heart yet. The, the first year I became the pastor, our theme was getting healthy. Last year, our theme was strength to move. And then God, you know, he speaks to us in all different kind of ways, but when you hear it, you know it. Through a card that someone gave us, and so many people here gave us beautiful Christmas cards and gifts, and it so moved our heart. Because sometimes we feel very alone. But this one card said something. And I'm not going to say the people's names, but I'm going to read what the card says. It says, Dear Pastor Reggie and Jess, may abundance be the word of 2023. When describing the path you find yourselves on, Abundance that drips of the blessings in every area of life. May our Heavenly Father, whose love for you is endless, use you both in ways unimaginable to you at this point on your journey. Thank you for making this year of growth a year when the cross and its power became even more crystal clear to us. Thank you for feeding our spirits and being used to give us our daily bread. And it went on to say a couple of other things. And when I heard that, it was like, this is the year of abundance. This is the year of abundance. We've planted, we've watered, and God is bringing the increase. Ephesians 3.20, starting at verse 20, says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within him, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all the generations forever and ever. Amen. Psalm 36, starting at verse 7, says, How precious is your steadfast love, O God. The children of mankind take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They feast on the abundance of your house and give, you give them drink from the river of your delight. For with you 
is the fountain of life. And in your light, do we see light? We know that the Bible tells us that seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be provided for you. You can come up, worship team. What does abundance look like? What we're speaking of is abundance in every way. But it really boils down to what that letter stated. I want to know you more, God. I want to be so overwhelmed with your love, with understanding who you are, what you've called me to, and I just want to pour myself out. Abundance is God, would you bless the works of my hand? For God to bless the works of your hands, you got to be willing to put your hand to the plow. And just like when they were rebuilding the wall in Jerusalem, they had a trial in one hand and a sword in the other. I believe this is going to be a year where God is going to answer some prayers we've been praying for for a long time. Families being restored. Prodigal children coming home. An overflow in what he does inside of us that would break out past these walls and touch our community like never before. Providing for us our daily bread, our bills, our cars, all of that kind of stuff, that's a given. As long as we're being stewards with what God has given us, he's going to bless us with those things. But those are small things. When, when, when Jesus said to the woman at the well about him being living water, and she said, give me this water so I don't have to come back to this well and dip this bucket in here, and she was missing the picture. She became... The first missionary done ran back to the town, brought all the people. Jesus stayed there for days, and they were blessed. We're talking about what God is going to do abundantly in us, that we would so feed on his word, that we would so stand in his promises, that we would walk in the victory that he's already won. Very, very excited about what God is going to do this year. And it really boils down to our relationship with him. After Jesus said this parable, at the end of that chapter, it says, while he was still speaking, his mother and his brothers were standing outside waiting to speak to him. And someone told him, look, your mother and your brother are here standing outside waiting to speak to you. And he replied to the one who was speaking to him, who's my mother? Who's my brother? 
stretching out his hand to his disciples, he said, here's my mother and my brother. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and my sister and my mother. What he was talking about there is because you're the religious leaders, because the Lord came to you and exposed to you who he is, does not by rights just give you an entrance into the kingdom. You don't even know who God is. Who who are my family members, those that are doing the Father's will. And that's what we want to be all about. We're going to um, have communion at this time. We'll have the leaders come up and the ushers bring it forward. If... um, If you are not in the family of God, we ask that you would refrain from taking communion. Just stay in your seats is good. If you have trouble with your mobility and you want to take communion, you don't have to get up out of your seat. Just raise your hand. We'll bring it to you um, in the end. But let's reflect on what it is to be in the family of God what he called us to, and how he has abundant provision for us. It says, For Christ also suffered for sin once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, that we might bring you to God. He was put to death in the flesh, but made alive. In the spirit. This is the first day of the year, and we are receiving from the Lord, coming to his table and tasting and seeing that the Lord is good. I'll come back up and we'll all take communion together. The ushers will direct each row to come up and to receive, and then just sit and reflect the goodness of God and his faithfulness through this past year and the expectation we have as his children, even as we think about these symbols of what he gave, that we would be in right relationship with him. Amen.